Well, let's get in the Bible. What do you say? If you've got your Bible handy, then open it to Exodus, turn to chapter 33, and we will learn from God's encounters with Moses what we want to learn tonight from this terrific chapter in the Word of God. We'll just go about halfway through or a little over halfway through in this chapter tonight. But when we left off last Wednesday night, we were talking about Moses being up on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and uh, getting the Ten Commandments. And then in the valley, the people said, what happened to Moses? We don't know what happened to him. They made the golden calf, and you remember what happened through all of that. Now we're moving on to the next chapter, chapter 34, uh, 33 rather, and then 34 next week. And uh, we will see what God is uh, speaking to Moses and the application of that for you and me. We always want to, when we study the Word of God, always want to see what it means to us now and today. Otherwise, we're just having a book book study and uh, doing a book report. But the Bible applies, the Bible tells us how to live today, even though it's a book about people who lived a long time ago. The author of the book is the Lord God Himself, so He knows what we need, and he knows how to apply the Word, and so we're going to ask him to help us tonight as we study his Word and as we read through these verses in Exodus chapter 33. So if you have your Bible open now, we're going to begin reading at verse 1 of Exodus chapter 33, and we'll work through this passage section by section. Verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hivite and the Perizzite and the Hittite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Now, let's bow together for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So tonight, Lord, we pray that that sword of the Spirit, your word, will penetrate our hearts, Lord. Help us as we long to hear from you. Lord, to help us to be hungry and thirsty for your word. And we pray, dear God, that you might speak to the deepest needs of uh, every one of our hearts tonight. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here. Thank you, Lord, uh, for these precious children and their families who blessed us tonight. And as we, uh, Lord, have opened your word now to study, we freely admit and confess, Lord, uh, apart from your Holy Spirit teaching us, Uh, We don't have a clue, Lord, about what your word really means. So we ask you to be our teacher, 
Lord, reveal your word, reveal your truth to us that we might not only hear, but put into practice what you are saying to us this evening. And we pray it all in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. All right, if you have uh, your outline now, if you will look at point number one, and I will give you that fill-in-the-blank word there, a Christian will never experience what the Israelites feared. What was it that they feared? They feared that God was not going to be with them. Because of their sin, God said to Moses, tell this people and lead this people away from here and go on to the promised land. I'll send my angel with you, but I myself am not going with you. That was a terrible message for the people to hear. In fact, the Bible says here, uh, in uh, verse 4, when the people heard this bad news, it was bad news, because God, who had called Moses to go into Egypt, where he was born and was raised, but then left when he was 40, was away for 40 years, and comes back when he's 80 years old, leads the people out of Egyptian slavery, and God had done all of that through Moses and was with them, as the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day, they are realizing when they hear these words that God is saying, you are not going to see me any longer. I'm not going up with you to the promised land. Now, I'll send my angel, and he'll take care of all those tribes that are already living there in the promised land, but I myself am not going with you. When they heard those words, the Bible says there in verse 4 that they mourned. They were sad. They wept. Uh, they just could not imagine God not going with them. And yet, that is exactly what he said to tell the children of Israel, this is going to be the way it is. So, so why is that? Look at verse 5. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. The term stiff-necked means stubborn. They wanted to do things their own way. They did not want to listen to God. They did not want to listen to God's spokesman, Moses and Aaron. And so he says that they are stubborn, they're stiff-necked. And he says, I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you or destroy you. So I'm really being merciful to you. I'm letting you live even though you deserve to die because of what you've done. I'm not going with you lest I destroy you. So he says, go ahead then and take off your ornaments, that is the jewelry that, uh, that you received from the Egyptians as plunder as you left Egypt. You just take that off. That was a gift that I gave to you through the Egyptians to show you how much I love you but you have violated everything that you promised you would do. And so since you broke your word to me, you break off uh, that, that jewelry and just don't wear it any longer. That jewelry was a symbol of what the people, the Israelites had done. They had broken the promise that they had made to God, so they needed to remove the jewelry. So they said, this is a horrible thing to think about, that, that we go up to the promised land without the presence of God with us. Well, that's, that is something that a Christian would never need to worry about. Now, there are other places in the Bible, and I want to point a few of them out to you, 
where uh, this idea is found. In fact, uh, if you look at uh, Psalm chapter 51, which is where David is uh, giving his great uh, psalm of repentance for his sin with Bathsheba and uh, Uriah the Hittite, having him put to death on the front lines of the battle. Psalm 51 is David's great psalm of repentance for his great sin. And when he gets to the, near the end of the psalm in verse 11, he said, Renew a right spirit within me, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He had seen that happen in the life of King Saul. Saul uh, was led by God. He was the first king, and yet he sinned greatly in God's sight. God removed him as king and took his Holy Spirit from him. David saw that and he prayed, God, don't do that to me. Well, a Christian need never pray that because it's never going to happen. Listen to some other verses. Actually, a a couple more in the Old Testament. One of the favorite verses of a lot of us, Isaiah 41 and verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43 and verse 2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. So regardless of what you face, God here is promising his people that he will be with them. And in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 5, he quotes from the Old Testament where God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then remember the beautiful words of Jesus in the Great Commission when he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. So let me ask you a question tonight. Are you saved? If you are, then you have God's promise that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. In fact, he tells us uh, through the Apostle Paul that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Getting saved means that the Spirit of God comes to dwell in your life. Too many people have the idea that getting saved is sort of like joining a club. If you join a club but forget to pay your dues or refuse to pay your dues, they'll kick you out of the club. Well, heaven is not a club. Being a part of the church is not a club. It is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he moves into your life, he is there to stay. Now, this time of year, we're going into uh, the holidays and so on. It's a lonely time of year for a lot of folks. They have memories about uh, times earlier in their life when it was uh, more fun. The kids were around, more grandkids were around. Maybe their spouse has passed away or whatever it may be. It's just a hard time. It's a lonely time for some people during the holiday season. But may I say to you, regardless of how many people may be in your life or how many may not be now that used to be, God is with you. He will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And we all want that human companionship, but we're never really alone. We're never really by ourselves, though we may be uh, alone in the sense of physically. He is with you. He will sustain you. He will help you. If you're passing through the fire, He is with you. If you're in deep waters right now, He is with you. Be assured 
tonight that the God who promised he would never leave you and never forsake you is keeping his promise even right now. So a Christian will never experience what these ancient Israelites feared. Point number two, a Christian should experience close fellowship with God like Moses did. A Christian should experience close fellowship with God like Moses did. Look with me at verses 7 through 11. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Now, this is not the same tabernacle that we've studied about previously and that we'll look uh, at again later on. That tabernacle has not actually been built yet. This is a tent or a tabernacle that Moses uh, actually lived in and took outside the camp. It's also called the tabernacle of meeting, just like the regular tabernacle is, but it's a different, uh, it's a different tabernacle. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people arose And each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now this is a beautiful picture of having fellowship with the Lord. Moses had a unique relationship among all the other people or really all the other prophets who came before him or after him. We'll read a passage in just a moment from Numbers that describes that. But here is Moses with the opportunity to have such close personal fellowship with the Lord that it is described as face to face. Moses would go out to the tent that was outside the camp. Remember that when we study the tabernacle, It was God who said in Exodus chapter 25, I want my tabernacle to be among my people. This tent or this tabernacle that we're talking about here is not among the people. It is outside the camp. So Moses would go outside the camp. He would go into the tent and then God in the presence uh, or in the the vision, uh, in in the personal vision here in presence, of uh, the fire, the pillar of fire by day, uh, and the pillar or, or the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, God would descend upon that tabernacle, that tent, and He and Moses would fellowship. God would speak to Moses. Moses would listen to the word of God, and then he would go back into the camp where the people were and tell the people whatever message it was that God wanted them to hear. Notice 
that some people other than Moses went out to the tabernacle in verse 8, that um, actually verse 7, it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. But then there were others who did not. They uh, stood, uh, verse 10, the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and they rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. Some people went out to the tent. Most of them stayed at their own tent and observed what was going on from a distance. Someone has well said, you're as close to God as you want to be. There were those who wanted to be closer to him. They went out to the tabernacle. There are others who didn't. They stayed at their own tent. Now, you and I have the opportunity, the privilege, the joy of having a close, personal fellowship with the Lord. And I say to all of us, myself included, we are as close to God as we want to be. If you're content with being as close to God now as you ever want to be, then that's where you'll stay. If you want to continue to grow in your fellowship with God and in closeness in your walk with God, then God will honor that desire in your heart and you can draw close to Him even as He will draw close to you. In fact, we're told that in the book of James and other places, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 12, and I want to turn there and read a few verses here because this is where, uh, this is where, excuse me, I can't do two things at once, talk and find the passage. Uh, This is where Miriam and Aaron get upset with Moses. Uh, They think, and they talk among themselves, and they say, well, you know, we know he's their brother, but I mean, he's just getting too big for his pants. Who does he think he is? So God, who hears everything, knew what they had been saying, and this is what God said to them about Moses. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 6. Then God said, Hear now my words. Is there a prophet among you? I, the Lord, make myself known to him. Excuse me. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings or riddles. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses. God says to to, uh, Aaron and Miriam, I have a special fellowship with Moses. He is the only one that I speak to face to face. So you you better be careful how you speak about my servant, Moses. But you know, The fellowship that Moses enjoyed is the fellowship that you and I can also enjoy. He has invited us into his presence. He has invited us to live 
in his presence. He has invited us not only into the holy of place to to talk about the uh, tabernacle again, but when we are in the holy place, we also are there where the holy of holies is because that curtain was torn in two. So you and I have the great and marvelous privilege of having a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He asks us, he invites us, he commands us. In the book of Hebrews, again, chapter 4, Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Why is that? Because our high priest is like we are. That is, though he is eternally God, he became a human being. Therefore, he understands what we're going through. He knows the hurts. He knows the heartaches. He knows the pain. He knows the disappointments. He knows the need in our lives. Therefore, he welcomes us because when we come with arms open wide saying, Daddy, Abba, Father, I love you. I need you. He welcomes us to come. He wants us to come. Oh, what what fellowship we often forfeit because we do not bring everything to God in prayer. Philippians chapter 4, the Bible says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. He is a merciful and faithful God, and our fellowship is with Him. Think about it like this. Remember Genesis chapter 1. How did all this universe come into being? God spoke it into existence. It took all kinds of power to do that. Now, it was no strain on God because he's all-powerful. But it took the power of the spoken word from Almighty God, and that's all it took to bring all of this into existence. Scientists who study this say there are billions of galaxies in the universe. We live in one, the Milky Way. And from our way of looking at it, it's pretty big, isn't it? But compared to billions of other places in this universe, it is really pretty small. But this God, who spoke and created this universe has also created you. He creates the big stuff and the smaller stuff. And this same God wants to have an audience with you. So enjoy that fellowship. Point number three. A Christian can learn more of God's ways 
as he, meaning God, reveals them. We can learn more of God's ways as God reveals his ways to us. Look at verses 12 through 14 now. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that just bless your heart? Here God had said, I'm not going with you. You go on. But what does Moses do? He obeys the Lord. He, he has uh, taken the tent outside the camp. God comes to him and speaks. And Moses is talking to God and asking him, Lord, please, we cannot go up into that promised land without you. And so I, I want to read his prayer with you again. This is so touching and so moving. Moses said to the Lord in verse 12, You say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. When, when Moses says here, yet you have said, I know you, by name. God is saying, I know you and I love you. And as he said through the prophet Isaiah later, I have engraved your name on the palms of my hand. Just think how dear Every child of God is to this wonderful heavenly Father that we have. Now, therefore, he says, I pray in verse 13, if I have found grace in your sight, and he did, then show me your way. That is, Lord, help me understand you more and better. Show me what you are doing. Show me what you're up to. Help me to walk in a way that is pleasing to you, that I may know you. Such an awesome privilege to know God. That I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Moses here is appealing to the kindness and goodness of God, to God's desire to reveal himself to his children. He specifically here is revealing more of himself to Moses. And I've learned over the years as I've walked with the Lord, the more time I spend in the Word 
and in prayer and obeying the Lord, the more intimately I know him. The Bible tells us that now we know in part. This side of heaven, we're not ever going to know God in all of his fullness because we're still tainted by sin. But one of these days, that sin's going to be removed. One of these days, you and I are going to be like him. It doesn't mean we're going to become God. There's only one true and living God. But we're going to know him in a deeper, more profound, more personal way than is ever even possible in this world. But that ought not keep us from wanting to get to know him better and more fully every day of our lives. Because he has given us that wonderful and great privilege to do so. As he reveals himself to us, we can learn more of him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that what God promised Moses in verse 14? He said, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So, a Christian can learn more of God's ways as he reveals them. And point number four now, a Christian belongs to a different, excuse me, to a group of people who are different from everyone else on the earth. That doesn't mean we're weird, though we may be. It just means that we are different. And what is that difference? Look with me at verses 16 and 15 and 16. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then? Will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. What was the difference between Israel and all the other people on the face of the earth? It was the presence of God with them. Other people, pagans, they had priests, and they had temples, and they had these rituals of worship, but they did not have the presence of God. What made the nation of Israel different and what was to be the defining characteristic of the people who were called the children of Israel, it was to be the presence of God with them. He manifested his presence through that pillar 
of fire and cloud. And that was their visible representation. That was the glory of God who traveled with them, who led them wherever they went through their 40 years in the wilderness and into the promised land. It was God himself. And Moses says, Lord, if you're not going with us, then I don't want to go. And God said, all right, Moses, I'll go with you and I'll give you rest. And Moses is so grateful. And he says, Lord, I know that if you're with us, all the others in the world will realize, or they should realize, that there's something different about this people called the Israelites, the Hebrews, the children of Israel. So, we don't see in that same manner today God manifesting his glory in that way like he did in those pillars of cloud and fire. So how does God manifest his glory today in this group of people called the church? How does he do that? Well, there have been various ways over the years that people have tried to differentiate themselves from the world. Some people believed it's all about how you dress that if you really follow Jesus, then you've got to dress differently than the world. So we've had people over the years who are followers of Jesus who thought it was wrong to have buttons on their clothes because worldly people had buttons on their clothes. They thought it was wrong to have zippers on their clothes because worldly people have zippers on their clothes. I went to seminary with a, with a man this many years ago who, uh, who, said, who told me that this was back in the 70s. Anybody in here remember bell-bottom pants? Man, I had a closet full of them. I wore them all the time. But uh, this man told me, he said, that he preached against bell-bottom pants, that a Christian ought not wear bell-bottom pants. And so I asked him, how come? He said, it's a sign of rebellion. Well, a Christian ought to dress modestly and ought to be respectful of others and how they dress. But I don't think anywhere in the Bible it says that people are going to know you're a follower of Jesus because of the particular kind of clothes you wear. Or whether... A woman wears makeup or fixes up her hair. What is to characterize a follower of Jesus? Well, one thing is humility. We're not to be full of pride and arrogance and boastful. Jesus dealt with that on a number of occasions. But one time in particular, when his, two of his disciples wanted to be put in positions of great power, when Jesus came into the kingdom... Their mother came and said, Jesus, said, let my son sit on your right and left. And Jesus said, no, you've got it all wrong. That's the way the Gentiles work. That is the way unsaved people behave, trying to climb over each other to get a higher position. That is not to be the way it is in the kingdom of God. If you want to be first, become a servant. 
So what is to characterize the people of God? It is humility and service, being a servant to other people. But specifically, what did Jesus say would characterize his followers? In John chapter 13 and verse 35, he said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. The supreme mark of a Christian is our love for God and our love for each other. Now, there are other things also that are included, but I wanted to highlight those because those are the things that Jesus specifically taught us that ought to characterize our lives. So maybe you and I need to look in the mirror tonight, in the spiritual mirror, and see whether those things characterize our lives or not. We are different from others. We ought to be. We ought not to be strange, although people who don't understand us certainly think that we're strange, and that's okay. We cannot control what other people think of us. Our job, our duty, our delight, and our joy is to obey the Lord because it is, it is uh, obedience to the Lord that is the most important thing in our lives. And if the world doesn't understand it, then let that be. But we are to be delightfully different. One final passage, if you'd like to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to read because Peter comments on this. And he said something about our being different. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you, speaking of the Christians of the church, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. We, as the blood-bought sons and daughters and children of God, are to be different from the world. There is to be a qualitative difference between how the world lives and how a follower of Jesus lives. Amen. And it's found in the character of, of our lives, and in the way we treat other people. And so, we can learn, and we need to be reminded from time to time of what we can learn about the Lord as He continues to reveal Himself to us. Now, the main way he reveals himself to us is through the Word. And so when I say, when he reveals more of himself to us, it's not like a new revelation. It may be a new revelation to us because we hadn't realized it before. How many of you have ever had that experience? You've read the Bible, you read it again, and you see something there you hadn't seen before. That's the power of the living Word. It was there, but maybe you weren't ready to hear it. You weren't ready to see it or receive it. But it's new to you in that it is God speaking to your heart. So I trust that God will continue to help us to grow and be more like Jesus. Would you say amen to that? Amen. amen.